Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 20th of August 2017. The time's flying in, isn't it? eh? It's just zipping by, as they say. It always strikes me as amazing, really amazing, when you read articles by what's called the mainstream media, and any other media for that matter, that they don't seem to connect the past with the present. And that's the secret of controlling billions of people across the world. Just don't mention the past, unless it's to to your own benefit at the time, to create some kind of dissension, to get all the groups fighting each other and things like that. That happens all the time today. So it's an old, old technique, of course. But what gets me is that if I asked you, when did you last drive your your car or, or go for a walk? You probably remember. And if I said to you, well, how did you get from A to B? You say, well, I walked or I drove. And yes, they would remember it. But if you said to them, okay, think about 10 years ago and how the system was then, to the to today, or even 20 years ago, for those that are older, to the, to the present time, and how did we get from there with the system then to the system we have now? And a blank stare will come across their face because they can't remember. Most of what they've accepted has been done so slickly to them that they have accepted the changes without even thinking through them, such as NAFTA, you know, the, 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 the old thinking about in the 90s, the free trade agreements, the World Trade Organization, all the stuff that brought them in, the, the GATT Treaty and so on with China and all their manufacturing going over to China after all those things were signed into law until they're left with a service economy. And now the service economy is all they have. And they think that's normal because they haven't consciously thought through all the rest of it. Isn't that astonishing, really? Where things that really you depended upon manufacturing for a future for yourself and and children too, was all taken out your hands by higher powers that didn't even mention it to you when they were doing it. Didn't ask for your approval. They just did it. And you're left high and dry. A whole generation was left high and dry, basically, having to try to find three or four jobs to work one after the other per day to make ends meet when other jobs went out of the country. Canada, the States, and other countries too. Happened all at once. And it was all drafted up by, I've still said so many times, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, this private club with this American branch, the Council on Foreign Relations, who drafted it all up, made it all happen, made it possible, gave it to the governments to sign, and that was it. So why bother voting huh, for governments that do what they're told obediently, and they all know it. All the politicians are darn well aware of what runs them, not necessarily the whole world, but they know what runs them personally. They know to obey and do what they're told. They all know that. But getting back to what I was saying there, it's not astonishing how people have literally accepted this, this, what they have today, this strange system they have today, this alien system, really, of the service economy, and massive welfare system to take up the slack from all the unemployed that's left without work. And 
again, the, 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 most, the almost surreal system of dishing out cheap electronics to, to really keep people engrossed in fantasy forever. That, that's a fantastic tool, isn't it? To keep them in place and to keep them out of demanding to have real jobs, real futures, and something they can actually count on and bank on. And it took me back, too, to how did, how, how, I, I mean, I lived through it. I knew what was going on at the time. And I can rem- remember way back to even the free trade agreements for the, for the Americas. I remember, too, you have the Council of Americas, another organization that was set up a long, long, long time ago to make all this happen. You don't vote for them either. And, and, and again, you have these big magnets today, big magnets who, who have enough money to, to float or sink nations, these individuals that have been told to come forward by themselves, of course, to tell, to tell all, the, all the, the newspapers what to print and they should come forward and take up their rightful place in governing us simply because they're stinking rich. And uh, believe you me, they didn't get their money uh, in, in honest ways. It goes back to the old traditions of uh, the so-called Neoplatonic Gnostic groups who were into the Kabbalah, etc. But they believed in a time where, where the world would be run by themselves, the, the benevolent dictators, benevolent dictators. And that's what you have when you have articles appearing in the newspapers by the Council on Foreign Relations saying that, that, that basically the top multi-billionaires who own corporations should be taking the rightful place in governing the people. Well, that's a new system of government for those who haven't quite figured it out. And believe you me too, there's no such thing as benevolent anything in power. Nothing is benevolent in power. That's why you have to have so many checks over those who seem to be on top of the the power game. But they're not the bosses either, as I say. There's organizations above them all. There really are above them all. There's not a politician or president or prime minister in the world who doesn't know. They might not know where he starts in some countries. In the Western countries, they certainly do, but they, they don't darn well that they're not at the top of the pole here. And those that they go borrowing money from all the time remind them of it constantly. This, as I say, people who can sink countries overnight if they want to withdraw money. That's power. And it's only power, too, if you're not ready for it. And if you, had, you have enough gutsy politicians to say, well, we're ready for it. If they want to pull their money out, we will survive. And here's all the contingency plans, etc., and then bring in a new system. But that will never happen because, you see, those at the top have never been conquered. And they always manage the future and plan the future, make it happen, so that they're always in charge. Always in charge. But as I say, most folk float through reality. They're conditioned by the media and everything else, and even entertainment, to simply flow along and don't be involved and as I say, if you ask them, how would you get from here, one year, to 10, 15, 20 years later, down to here, uh, they don't really know. They think it must have happened naturally, simply because it happened at all. It must be natural. And I always reference, uh, <laughs> it's a, it came from a book, but it was a movie too, on Maxwell, the big mogul in Britain, who 
had a massive pyramid scam on the go with newspapers and, and other businesses. And he borrowed money from one to on the other and back and forth and all the rest, like a shell game. And eventually it all collapsed. But he got out of the country and... Uh, but what what was interesting about him too, he was an awfully good con man. And much like Bernie Madoff, in a sense, a system built as a pyramid scheme. And highly respected, the doors all open for him and people almost lay down in the puddles for him, you might say. Because that's what, unfortunately, people who are poor do to those who have a tremendous wealth behind them. And Maxwell did take friends up to the top of the top of his uh, massive uh, building in London, and they'd have dinner out in the open and, and served by butlers and all the rest of it. And they'd drink, and one or two of the guests who were eventually interviewed for the book and in the movie said it's very, very true that whenever you need to go to the washroom after drinking all that beer and so on, he would say, oh, come over to the edge there, and then he would just simply pedal out over onto the streets down below, the sidewalks. And one of them said to them, we can't do that. The people, the people will know. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be furious. And so, those, those people down there, they know nothing. They see nothing. They'll never know. And that's how it happens. That's how it happens. Tremendous things are done to the public, and the public are generally unaware of it. They're distracted by all the little things they have to do to survive, to get along, or they're being distracted by advertising or shopping or something. Lots of things to take their time away, their attention away, into other other areas. And that's one of the greatest tricks, of course, for controlling the population. Always divert their attention into some completely irrelevant area if you want to do things on the other side of the planet, you might say. That happens all the time, doesn't it? Oh, don't look at that. Look at North Korea. (gasps) (laughs) Yet look at all the the jobs elsewhere in the world now, all in China, all in China. I remember reading some books a long, long time ago to do with uh, the thoughts of the different Marxists and what they wanted to do at the turn of the 20th century was to order society, divide labor, decide who would be put into literally, literally you, 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 you're in this group here, you, you, you're in that group there. there. There's the choices you get under Marxism. And, of course, the ones at the top who, who would, the thinkers, they would live better than everyone else, and they would have a much, much better lifestyle uh, than anyone else as well. You know, the real workers down below them. But they also talked about Rather than have competition, and like, not, like the free markets, did, the so-called free markets in the West, which you used to have to an extent, you don't have them today, it's all monopolies, then they wanted to, to set up one shoe factory for the whole country, like this is the Soviet Union, or for Russia, and for other countries too, one shoe factory, one furniture factory, etc. They thought they'd be more practical, etc., 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 and you just simply look at what they do in China. And they're pretty well accomplished that, for those who haven't quite figured it out yet. <laughs> There's one island, apparently, of China uh, that makes pretty well all the laptops. All the laptops that you see there with all the different names on them, but they're all made in the same, the same factory on an island there. And you've got to remember, too, that China is still labelled a communist country, 
it, it truly is the dream of the capitalists of having a population obedient, a collectivist-type population too, obedient to the governing caste and doing what they're told and not expecting a different kind of means of being governed. They, they claim that that's a great success story, according to the United Nations. And the United Nations, and I've read their articles from, from them, their own different uh, uh, papers and so on, and magazines, hailing China as the model state for the world to copy. And folks still don't see it. Wait, wait a minute, isn't that still a communist country? So the West is to, is to, is to emulate a communist country. You've got to understand that all the indoctrinations you had in the past of terminology has to be adjusted, sometimes pretty greatly too. Even today, left-wing and right-wing don't even mean the same things anymore. Carl Quigley said that would happen when the topics of elections, when it came up, the topics of all sides would be the same topics, catering to the same groups. And in reality, they all have to do what they're told anyway, because you're in a global system run by people you don't elect. And they own think tanks, which are officially designated to be the advisors to all governments. And these think tanks and clubs, you might call them too, like the CFR, see on their own sites. That's what they're here for, to advise governments. Well, you don't vote them in. But you accept them as being quite normal. I don't hear anybody else speaking out against this. It's astonishing to me how, how easy it is to change systems from this to that in no time at all. And the people, as I say, who, who can tell you how they got from A to B on a walk or a drive can't tell you how they got to where they are today without a job. Or the job they've got is, is stacking shelves somewhere, competing with all the other unemployed in their country at the same level, and more and more people coming in from outside for the same jobs. And they, th- they now think that's normal. In fact, they feel ashamed to speak out about it. And they've been taught to be ashamed by all the different triggers and Pavlovian responses that's drummed into them all to feel guilty all the time. It's really amazing the amount of psychology, very simple psychology, that's been indoctrinated into them in the proper scientific techniques from school onwards. And you watch it happening where they can't even stand up to verbally defend themselves anymore. They feel ashamed of to say anything. That's not by chance. <laughs> and all the groups you'll see clashing as well in the States at the moment it's kind of farcical for me to watch it because there are books out on using groups, creating groups, having them clash together to create other things in society, other systems down the road. This is what's happening today. And the people who belong to the crowds, except for the, for the leaders who are bought and paid for and the real agitators who really are bought and paid for by the same people who own the planet, both sides are always bought and paid for by the same folk. Believe you me, if you truly came out to use violence, to shift any balance of power on this planet, and it wasn't going to help the present owners of the planet, 
you would be flattened before you even arrived on, on the, the, the demonstration place. You'd be flattened. So whatever you're doing, and whatever side you think you're on, you're all being used. And the ones at the top know it. They're bought and paid for it. They, they get salaries for this nonsense. I can remember quite a few years back when they were doing the, the big demonstrations against the global meetings. And you'd have your G20 and all the G-whizzies, all the different private clubs that you don't vote for either, having them get their photo ops and signing their further integration to globalised structures of free trade, which is free trade for the big international corporations which are on the list, and excluding anybody else who's not on the list from getting any trade at all. That's what it is. And it's also free trade for basically the trading of cheapest labour on the whole planet on behalf of the elitists. That's what it's really all about. For all the people who really, really think is to help poor peasants in other countries, I have no time for you. You won't look at things. You don't look at, even look at recent history, the last 20, 30 years in those countries. When the big, big factories that you put in there, you fund them, you pay for them all. That's, that's real corporate welfare. Uh, just simply hop around from third world country to the next. According to the labour market... Constantly happens all the time. And free trade has made it even easier. And now you're doing the same thing in your own countries. Now you're starting to pay big international corporations to come into your country and you pay to build their factories. You, you build the roads into their factories, etc., etc. And then they bring in the robots and so on. <laughs> and then you have no jobs anyway, so it makes some difference. But you paid for all. That's the new system, corporate welfare. You pay... So that those who are already stinking rich can get even more stinking rich. They get rather high, you might say. But getting back to Maxwell again, when it comes to awareness, he knows the population. He knows the techniques that are used upon them, way down below on the sidewalks. And he says, those people down there, they won't notice anything. And you pee on them. And that's exactly what you'll find other primitive reactions occur, such as I'm peeing on people. We've had instances of that happening with troops in some countries, actually. They come out in some trials, in fact. These guys literally piddle on their victims before they kill them. Very animalistic. And so it goes. But I've heard of other ones, too. Multi-millionaires happened in Scotland once with a, a builder who owned big, massive building, a construction across the country, and uh, he went across in his private helicopter over a, know, it was a golf club or something and, and piddled from the, the helicopter just to show how superior he was. And once again, that brings me back to what other players in society in the past have come out said blatantly in, in their own books, in fact, like Bertrand Russell and others, that there's, not, there's nothing that you cannot do with people. In other words, there's nothing you can't make them do. Or Adam Weishaupt of the Bavarian Illuminati. Really interesting to, to see how it really, really worked. The whole idea was you were taking over power, you were convincing, and he was convincing members of the, the church at that time, of an esoteric meaning of this esoteric branch of masonry, as he called it, was really the true branch of masonry. And the true branch of Christianity was one and the same thing. And he even made a bishop, apparently, believe that this was so. And Weishaupt mocked the guy in a letter to one of his other accomplices, 
is he, he said that, he said in his letter, he says, this, this fool is now believing in this version of Christianity that I have given him. He says, oh foolish man, what can you not be made to believe? There's all kinds of weird and wonderful and wacky theories going around right now. And no one questions where they're even coming from or why they get so much leverage across media, etc. I repeat it again for those who are hard of thinking. Oh, foolish man, what can you not be made to believe? Now, tonight we'll touch on the Council on Foreign Relations. Remember, you'll never find any of their authors ever decrying, ever, ever decrying the loss of sovereignty of any nation because they're sworn to this global governmental agenda on behalf of their masters, and they do have masters above them. And here's one article here from the guys who brought you the Free Trade Agreement, then NAFTA, and so on and so on, and whose parent group, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, gave you, oh, World Bank, the IMF, and so on, down the road, all, all the way down to uh, everything that happens today on a global, a global scale, and the United Nations too, they gave you that as well. And this is the article here, it's from uh, Mr. O'Neill, it is, who is a Rockefeller Senior Fellow for Latin America at the Council on Foreign Relations. So here he is, giving you the standard spiel they give out to you on how, why NAFTA is good and why. Remember, too, Karl Marx said the same thing, for those who think it's a recent thing, this, this amalgamation idea. Marx said it, too, that there should be a, a united Europe with a government for, for the whole of Europe, a United Americas with a government for the whole of the Americas, and one for the Far Eastern group of countries. And all three of them would be under a world government. That was a stepping stone, the stepping stone, the stepping stone to world government. And here you go again. That's what NAFTA really is, too. And believe you me, those at the very, very top don't see the peasant of the U.S. or Canada in any other light than they see the peasant of Latin America or the Caribbean or, or China, for that matter. I really mean that, too. Why NAFTA needs more than a few tweaks? This is their spiel now. So U.S. and Mexican and Canadian trade negotiators meet this week in Washington, D.C. for their first of seven lightning rounds to reshape what Trump calls the worst trade deal ever signed. So they give you re- reasons why they're going to tweak it and, in other words, revamp it again. It hasn't been cancelled, remember. That won't, it won't happen. It won't happen. Because the big boys who own the world have made this all happen. They, they, they're the ones who really are profiting. The, the small group that, that owns the massive shares and all top controlling shares in all the top international corporations. And then they talk about what they're going to tweak and make each country happier so that they won't pull out of this agreement and so on and to get things back on track, just like to say. And it isn't until you get near the bottom of it and you see that in large part because of NAFTA, Mexican and Canadian factories are more partial to U.S. suppliers than any others in the world. Then they give you a few statistics. They love statistics. Eh? There are lies, damn lies, and then there are statistics. In other words, if you make it sound like it's a scientific thing, it must be truer than the, than the lie. Eh? <laughs> anyway, it says um, Mexico's exports to the U.S., 40% of the value is made in America. 
For Canada, it's 25%. In contrast, US factories barely provide 5% of the inputs into products made in the rest of the world. And so they're, they're talking about why there's a lot of disgruntlement inside the United States. But the whole thing is a rah-rah-rah article, basically, for fixing it all up and why we must all literally, again, join together. This is the same group that brought you Fortress America from a few years ago, how would they give up our sovereignty and join into one country, basically, one governmental system to, to face terrorism. And then they go into the usual rubbish from the CFR, from the very start, that we have to... This is the, this, these are the people who created, who, who brought you a united Europe under one government, a group that lied their teeth off to the populace of every country of Europe since 1948 till they set up the parliament. And they kept telling them it was just a little free trade agreement until they had their parliament up and running. And, there were t- and, and then, they, then they, <laughs> they released the, the truth. Well, we, we promised to keep it secret until it was all working. Secret from whom? From the public. A private organization gave you United Europe. And every country dutifully signed on to it because everybody they put in for it at that time at the top of the countries was all on the payroll of the big global masters. That's why. And the same happened for the Americas as well. Quite something. So now that once they set up Europe, then they said, well, now you have to amalgamate as well. Give up your sovereignty. Get a single parliament going. And then, then it'd be more efficient to, to, to compete against Europe. And then they, they go even further with this farce and say, well, n- now you can compete with China. Who is kidding who? And I've been through all these arguments years ago when all that was on the go. And, and said, for God's sake, you know, uh, people in China are lucky to get, at that time, two or three bucks a day. Their week's wages. They can work for a week's wages and survive and eat. And it wouldn't even pay your weekly tax here. Even the tax on your, on your, your electricity. Everything here is taxed to death. So this is the farce of this, oh, creating trade blocks to compete with each other nonsense. Utter rubbish. And they're still doing it. They're still bringing out the same things at the bag. Here's another article too. How does NAFTA fit into the broader debate over trade policy? And they go into it again. This is the CFR. Yeah. And again, oh yeah, we've got to compete. We've got to compete with, with, with Europe and China. Who is kidding? Who? It's not meant to be logical. It's meant to be an excuse. Some kind of excuse, that's all. Another article here, too, is renegotiating NAFTA, again, CFR. And they go through the same old things again. Oh, yeah. And then they talk about, well, if we don't do it properly, the car companies will object, you know. And, oh, one of the companies, Ford Focus, just moved to Europe, blah, blah. Well, wait a minute here. So they're saying we should give up our sovereignty. All the countries give up our sovereignty to, to a, a, a a continental government so we can bribe factories to stay here huh? again corporate welfare oh we'll build you new factories please stay we'll build the roads coming into them please stay we'll supply all the electricity for you and pay for it all please stay it's astonishing it's in your face what this is this system it really is and the public never got even got the vote on this 
Yep. That's quite something. <laughs> and that's how they, what they give you, free trade. That's what they call free trade, eh? Free trade. Beautiful. And again, too, remember, as I said last week, factories can even make money without doing a darn thing just by applying to come into your country and setting up a factory or workplace and then saying that they, they want to pay your people the same wages that they, they would pay them back home in their own countries. And knowing, before all, they don't intend ever to come in and do this, but knowing that you say, oh, you can't do that, it's below our minimum wage or whatever. They can sue the country legally and, and get as many mil, uh, millions as, as their lawyers can get from that country and, and put it to the bank and try the same with another country. It's, it's quite a good scam, isn't it? Reality is full of scams like you wouldn't believe. That's all we live in is scams. And what's even more astonishing is the amount of people, and this is why it works so well, professors and, and experts of all kinds, Again, going back to Bertrand Russell, he said, we shall create, we're creating a world where people will be taught to, to believe in nobody except experts. So that eventually when experts come on the media and tell people something, they will believe it implicitly without thinking. And that's all they have to do is say expert. And that's happened. It's, it's all conology, pure cons. Most of these crowds that are like flash mobs. And flash mob being something that the defense departments talked about years ago when they projected their future scenarios uh, to do with fortune telling, because they're actually into that. How, how will different things happen in the future for defense, etc.? And flash mobs could be created so quickly with uh, iPhones, etc., instant communication and... And the people would simply react without thinking and join the crowd that was going to protest whatever it happened to be. And people don't behave rationally in a crowd. It's easy to, to whip them up into a frenzy. It's even easy to get them to attack people, in fact, where individually they'd never even think of it. Uh, never mind that the reasons that they're doing it at the time, they would never even have those reasons on their own. Most of the reasons you're given to simply react are given to you by above, by professionals who understand the buttons to push. Bernays talks about this too, the nephew of Sigmund Freud, who came from a, a long line, basically, of people who studied human nature. They knew how to stimulate people to buy things and so on, to motivate them. And when you understand that, you realize that there are many things which motivate people, subconscious desires, etc., to actually purchase things to make them feel better. Well, it's the same thing with making people dissatisfied with things, too. You press the right buttons, and away they go. I always say that if you see a crowd on one side and a crowd on the other, and they've both got signs for you to join them, try to find a path out of there and get out very, very quickly. Because if you're in a crowd, you're going to be used. There's no doubt about it. None at all. Now, I just want to touch on two other bits of the con game that's going on. And that is to do with <laughs> all the nonsense of greening, etc. The greening idea, remember, is simply a, a technique to, to give control to another body of governors to rule the planet on behalf of the world masters. 
the world masters at the very, very top employ the best brains to plan the future out for them uh, and have all kinds of professionals working for them. Unlimited numbers of them, too, because they have unlimited financing at the top. And that's the idea, is just to make it happen, make it so, as they say, and, and they make it so. Right down to the Sea of Far, which is the ones that we know about. This one's way above them. We above them. Think tanks and professionals. And the idea is, the, the future, as I've said many times over, and it's, I'm glad to see that our talk show hosts have grabbed the stuff that I talk about. And when it comes down to the communistic system they're bringing in under socialism to manage the, the masses of people on behalf of the ultra-wealthy above them who really rule it all. They're the real rulers. But they use all these socialistic, communistic bureaucracies to manage the public and it's to get tighter and tighter and tighter into the planned society. And communism is the best way to do it. Give you causes. Oh, and, and the youngsters will take off with causes. I love causes when you're young. And austerity. Oh, you've got to stop consuming so much. Oh, you can't heat yourself so much, you're killing the planet. Freeze to death. And so on and so on. And that, that's what it's all coming to. It's quite easy to create fanatics with the right indoctrination from an early age. And then they're used by their bosses above them. And if they don't fulfill the, the plans of their bosses above them, they'll suffer. And, and they will apologize. Whether they have or haven't done anything wrong, they'll feel so guilty. We saw all during the, the, the Cold War when they had the trials in Russia. All these staged trials of different leaders, dedicated fanatics, who had somehow let down or were accused of letting down the system. And they were all, oh my God, apologetic for it. George Orwell had it in 1984. It wasn't, it wasn't enough that you felt it all and you repeated what you were told to, to say by your, your torture. You had to believe it yourself, that you were the nasty, terrible person that they, they said you were. And you'd, you'd feel the shame. We are understood and tweaked so often by, by, our, by the, the masters that, that it's, you can't even keep score of all. During the, during the year, so much, so much of it. Constantly getting that, all the little jives are getting at you, being, being bad, being bad, bad, bad. And they haven't stopped, they just keep going, don't they? Do you think that all those people at the very, very top, who have their own private jets, sometimes fleets of them, who go all over the planet, which a good part of which they own, are going to cut back on their traveling because of carbon and all that nonsense, which they themselves laugh at because they know it's a joke. But it's important that you believe it's all true, because it's you, the sheep, are going to get fleeced. There's an article here that says, Morgan Stanley, Tesla's not as green as you think. And it's not a bad article, but it says, uh, the international banking behemoth released the results of a study on the best green companies in which to invest. This is based, said the bank, on the assumption that some, perhaps many, investors who have drunk the green Kool-Aid want to invest in ways to save the environment and fight against climate change. Missing from the top of their list is perhaps the most visible green automobile company, Tesla Inc., formerly known as Tesla Motors. After comparing the savings in carbon dioxide 
This is the great joke, too, how you're going to save carbon dioxide. Achieved by Tesla's high-mileage electric vehicles to all the secondary and tertiary factors involved in their manufacture, Morgan Stanley said the carbon emissions generated by the electricity required are greater than those saved by cutting out direct vehicle emissions. That Tesla wasn't near to the top, said the bank, was one of the biggest surprises of the study. Part of the problem, said the report, is that the electricity is largely generated by burning fossil fuels. With 72% of electricity produced in the U.S. by fossil fuels, the CO2 emissions from the electricity generation are still material, said the bank. You understand that? 72% of electricity produced in the U.S. is, by, is still by fossil fuels. That's what, what they want to call fossil fuels anyway. And they're cutting back on coal, etc., now, what do you, where do you think you're going to get the electricity from the, for, for, for a whole nation of millions and millions of people when you've got electric cars on the go? Where do you think it's all going to come from if they cut out all these fossil fuels, as I like to call them? Huh? You're not going to be driving, folks. You're not meant to be, actually. The, the electric car is, is a, a partial measure to get rid of the standard vehicle, automobile. And then once they've done that, they'll jack the prices up. You won't get the, the taxpayer paying for a good chunk of your purchase because that's what's happening right now. And you'll be paying the full cost, which you can't afford, and you'll be stuck. Or you have to move into a little city where you can get buses or something. That's the agenda. That's the purpose of it. It's not meant that you're driving around. They don't want you driving around it by any means <laughs> down the road. No way. In fact, that's what they had in Agenda 21, remember, for those who bore to read it. It says there'll be no private vehicles in the future, the end of the 20, you know, before the end of the 21st century, which we're in. There'll be no private vehicles. Be essential vehicles only. Anyway, it says, uh, this echoed conclusions made back in May by a British greenhouse gas expert, quotation marks, expert uh, Mike Berners-Lee, author of How Bad Are Bananas? The Carbon Footprint of Everything. That's the title of it. It says, if you're a relatively low-mileage person, you should stick with your gas-powered car. And virals that left Liberal Salon magazine interviewed with Berners-Lee, who admitted that green isn't just measured by tailpipe emissions, but by everything involved in building a Tesla. Important facts in determining carbon emissions include the weight of the vehicle, driving habits, and the source of the electricity that charges your car. It can be a much greener choice to keep the perfectly functional car you have, the normal car, the automobile, rather than go out and buy a new green one. <laughs> green, what a joke. It's not green. There's no such thing as green except grass. Says that CO2 calculation, which adds up everything involved in building a Tesla or any other vehicle, is called embodied carbon. All the energy required to build the car from the ground up. That includes extraction and processing of raw materials and shipping the parts of the, and the vehicles themselves across oceans in oil or coal-fired tankers. It also includes the cost of building the massive plants to assemble them. For instance, Tesla received approval last December from the city of Fremont, California, to expand its present facility by 4.6 million square feet, which includes 12 growth zones around the site. This expansion includes the steel, concrete, and plastic, not only in its construction, but in the production lines and computers that drive the robots. It's robotic. It's so much for jobs, eh? It also must encompass the tax credits that Fremont's politicians no doubt granted to keep Tesla from building his plant elsewhere. Why are we bribing 
And some say, why? Who says we're supposed to bribe them to stay there? It's all conology and crooked politicians across the Western world and elsewhere too. Believe you me, they get backhanders for all this stuff. Of course they do. There's another cost involved as well, one that neither Berners, Lee nor Morgan Stanley considered. The $7,500 tax credit provided to purchasers of the Tesla, which is paid for by taxpayers. So for every car, you're paying $7,500 in taxes. The taxpayer is to the purchaser, who are simply taking welfare. What a racket. What a ra- Can you start a business up and get the government to demand, in fact, give you... <laughs> Yeah, uh, or give the purchaser of your, your spade or bucket or whatever happens to be thousands of dollars to buy it. Oh, come on. That's a bribe. These quotation marks incentives distort the market and tilt it in the favor of Tesla against its competitors. Without those incentives, credits and political enhancements, Tesla, which, by the way, has turned a profit in just two quarters in its 13-year existence... <laughs> might just be a footnote in history. In other words, you can never know whether Tesla's electric car venture would ever pay off if the, if the government wasn't paying it for them, paying the buyers. Either economically or environmentally, once the government, state, local or federal, gets involved in picking winners, meaning paying them, it distorts the market because it also automatically involves, is involved in punishing losers, which is those who don't get the credits. Other companies which don't get money to folk can buy their cars. (laughs) So one cannot ever be sure where the free market driven by consumer choice would reward Tesla with profitability or even allow its continued existence. And it goes on and on. But but it's it's true enough. But again, truth doesn't matter today to most folk because they will buy out of being trendy. Oh, I'm I'm good, I'm trendy. You know, I got got an electric car. Never mind the fact that the, the, the poor peasants around you help pay for it. So you could have that electric car. And be so trendy. But when government is backing corporations to start with, you better forget all this greening rubbish. <laughs> Your government is promoting certain corporations. Is that what government's there for? Is that impartial? Of course it isn't. There's a name for that. And then one of the other con men too, once you, by the way, once you get into the Trilateral Commission and CFR and so on, uh, but especially the the Trilaterals and and a few other ones around that same category, uh, you're guaranteed a life of financial ease, believe you me. No matter what you do or don't do, most of them do nothing, you know, except collect cash. It's interesting to me to look at Al Gore, for instance, and all his prattle about pushing this through, they have different selected people who are there to promote the green agenda, meaning plundering the public, getting them into the new austerity mode through higher taxes for everything, uh, right down to depopulation and so on, and get them into the cities, north rural areas. And the, the, these prostitutes, and they are, they are, these Al Gores and the rest of them, who, who know darn well that, that, what the real reason is for all this stuff what their role in it happens to be as well. But they have no problem spouting the lies. I can't stand these people, personally, you know. Anyway, it says here, the, the inconvenient spoof, you know. Man, it says, former Vice President Al Gore labelled a British reporter a denier. You know, this, this again came from the Pavlovian training, which had already trained the public 
everyone knows what a Holocaust denier is. So now they can now use the term denier, now that people immediately get repulsed Pavlovian style when they hear it, and, and use it upon anybody else who doesn't agree with any part of this global agenda. See how it works? It's very good, isn't it? Simple technique, really, but it works awfully well. So, Gore labelled the British reporter a denier. <gasps> well, yes, he was a denier. He's saying it's not true, so he, den- he denied it. So it's like being a denier now, having a different point of view, makes you a bad person. Understand the technique of the psychology? Anyway, it says, after he pressed the former vice president about scientific claims made in his recently released global warming film, are you a denier, Gore asked. The spectator is Ross Clark after a private screening of An Inconvenient Sequel. When Clark tried to finish his question, Gore said, You are a denier. And that was meant to shut him up. Clark questioned one part of... Evans like that now today. They've got a whole bunch of things they can pull out the hat and, and just put the label on you and it's meant to shut you up through shame. Just like Orwell in 1984 with Winston. And it says, Clark questioned one part of Gore's film that cuts from Gore on his melting glazier to a flooded street in Miami Beach where, with a voiceover from Gore, making a strong connection between the two, he wrote an article. The implications of the sea level is happening frighteningly quickly, and it's all down to carbon emissions, if not nature's revenge for all those hanging shads which denied him victory in Florida, and therefore the 2000 presidential election, Clark wrote for The Spectator. Clark was curious about the claim, so he asked Florida International University sea level expert uh, Shaman uh, Dwawinski about global warming's impact on sea level rise. Dwawinski said glacial melt did impact sea level rise, but the recent surge in sea levels in Miami had more to do with short-term variability caused by changes in ocean currents. There's, there's many reasons why things go up and down. And Wodinski also noted that subsidence is another major factor for flooding in Miami, much of which is built on reclaimed swamps and barrier islands. Most folk don't even know that. That much of the, the coast around the, the eastern board, it was all built up, man, man-made, and built up by films. Look at all across Long Island and New York, and so that went on for well over a hundred years. They actually had big tax breaks for people who wanted to reclaim land, and also took taxes and paid corporations in the early days. In fact, national had corporations who would make fortunes and try to reclaim more and more land from the sea. Anyway, it says. Clark wrote that satellite measurements reveal that some streets now lie 16 to 24 centimetres lower than they did 80 years ago. A recent study supports Wodinski's point, sea level south of Cape Hatteras rose about six times faster than the global average from 2011 to 2015. The study found two large atmospheric patterns, most likely accounted for the hot spot off the southeast coast, the El Nino cycle and the North Atlantic Oscillation. The New York Times stated. But anyway, Gore wasn't interested in hearing inconvenient science. As soon as I mentioned Professor Vodinsky's name, he countered, never heard of him, is he a denier? Clark wrote, adding Gore, soon accused him of being a denier. And says Clark was also con- confronted by a frosty PR woman in public relations who told him this is a film junket to promote the film, not an event to ask hard questions. So it's true enough, we're supposed to just get brainwashed and believe all the lies that that these characters like Gore are put out. These guys have no conscience at all with their BS. And they know it's BS. 
They really do. But it's all for a big, big agenda, isn't it? To change the whole way that we live. Until, really, if you, if you could remember it and live long enough, in 20, 30 years' time, you would look back at the present time and you wouldn't even remember what it was like because it would be so drastically different, so drastically different with as they unveil and, and promote all the plans for the, the massive changes that you are going to see. There's nothing out there to stop it. There really isn't. Bitching about it isn't going to stop it. And believe you me, the, the boys at the top, use, they can use any technique they want to get what they want. They always have done. That's where they, they, they put out billions of dollars a year for their different think tanks and their different technocrats to implement all these agendas for them. Way above politics. And then another one too, as I say, with on Al Gore again. It says his home divorce 34 times more electricity than the average U.S. household. And I remember quite a few years back, the same kind of thing came out about his homes and all the different rooms he has and all the different ways he has to heat and all, etc., etc., and air conditioning. On Friday, Al Gore's sequel to Inconvenient Truth, called an Inconvenient Sequel to Truth to Power, arrives in movie theaters across the country. It says, in just this past year, Gore burned through enough energy himself to power the typical American household for more than 21 years, according to a new report by the National Center for Public Policy Research. The former vice president consumed 230,889 kilowatt hours at his Nashville residence, which includes his home, pool, and driveway entry gate electricity meters. A typical family uses an average of 10,812 kilowatt hours of electricity per year, according to the U.S. Energy Department. And it says it gets worse. Last September alone, Gore devoured 30,993 kilowatt hours of electricity. That's one month. That's enough to power 34 average American homes for a month. Over the last 12 months, Gore used more electricity just heating his outdoor swimming pool than six typical homes used in a year. And so on it goes. But facts don't matter. Facts don't matter. As I've said before, Gore knows darn well that it doesn't really matter. He doesn't believe in this stuff. It's just important that he makes you believe in it all. That's all. Because you're going to get really, see, you're going to go into incredible austerity. And it's also putting a completely new value on, or devaluing human life even further. Because you, you will, down the road, see articles, and pretty shortly actually, like they do in Britain, to do with energy poverty, how many old folks should, should just die and freeze to death in the winter in their own homes because they can't afford fuel, or they're not allowed to burn certain fuels. That's all coming too, mark my words. Now I just want to touch on these little clashes they're having in the States, all managed of course and planned and by the biggest boys above them all. And it's interesting to, to, to watch all this coming. I always try to look behind what's happening, not what they tell you, why it's happening and so on. There's always reasons way above that. What's the goal of it all, etc. And part of it, too, is to train the general population that you need a new form of government uh, that's going to be too violent, etc., and crazy to go on like this and to rein in the rights and freedoms of everybody. That's part of it. But it's also to do with reflections from the past, you might say. 
you have, for instance, it's no, it's no coincidence that this happening right now in the States with the, the, the clashes supposedly of the, the KKK, supposedly. And I'm kind of doubtful they even exist anymore, at least the way that they say that they did. And with the, with the so-called far-left groups as well that are against it all. But you see how they've set all this up, too, about the removal of monuments, now, it's well understood, again, to do with identity politics and with the way that cultures are set up and how history is completely interwoven with the cultures that lived at a certain time and, and, and go on from a certain time onwards into the future with all those set parts of history embedded in their, in their psyche. And you can't attack those things without massive backlash. This has been written about even in the book to do with crowds put out at the end of the 1800s. And they were studied for that very reason again even then, to do with revolutions and so on. Because revolutions are really what's behind all of this. And the revolutions behind all of this are managed by much, much bigger powers than little idiots at the bottom that go, are, are really battering each other with clubs and so on. They don't, they don't even know. <laughs> You really don't even know about all the symbology behind all of it. Because it's happening across the world at the same time. Whenever you see that happening, you've got a worldwide coordination going on. We had that happen in Scotland not long ago, too, with uh, the Young Fathers, this group they had in, in Scotland, supposedly. Never heard them myself. But uh, like all Western countries now, anybody who's into any kind of music or art or even novels are generally paid for by the government itself. And this one says, Scots R&B stars, young fathers, suffer racist backlash after claims the UK art galleries are full of privileged white people, meaning these are old, old paintings, when generally the population was white. Well, aren't you a time machine and go and change it? That's just the way it's going to be. But anyway, it says here, the R&B, now listen, listen to this, the R&B group who won the Mercury Prize in 2014, and the remix group, it says, made the controversial remarks in a video commissioned by the National Portrait Galleries in Edinburgh and London. So they're paid for by the state, basically, through grants, to, to, to bash the fact that, that these old portraits in UK galleries were full of images of privileged white people. You know, this, this is shades of the communist nonsense, you see. And it's got deeper imagery behind it because no one should be allowed to be mocked to this extent. This is racism. Of course it is. And it says, that there were, it says the capital-based trio, two of whose members are black, remark at one point that those in the portraits are a long line of inbred spawn, soon to die out themselves. And they're getting paid to say this and do this, you see. It says the band then suffered vile racist abuse online, including comments on band members, etc. Uh, uh, but, but the thing is, who started all this stuff? That they're paid to do this by, by the portrait galleries, basically. So the government's paying people to, to, to start racist riots, in a sense. It didn't come to that, but this is how you do it. And, and the government's paying this to happen. But then again, what kind of people would even take the money and do this kind of stuff? Huh? 
the facts have nothing to do with it again, right? And then you have this one here, City of Yarra Council's attack on Australia Day. The Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull criticised a Melbourne Council's decision to drop all references to Australia Day and cancel its annual citizenship ceremony, accusing it of repudiating Australian values and dividing the community. This is happening across the world right now. Same thing. Not by coincidence. If you haven't noticed, it's not coincidence. <laughs> it's all managed. And again, they say, refer to the day as January 26th until another term is adopted nationally. And it's all to do with the nasty people coming into Australia and taking it over. It doesn't make mention the fact, too, that the people who are getting pumped into Australia, the nasty white folk, were generally prisoners themselves getting <laughs> in chains. <laughs> Facts got nothing to do with it. And then you have another one here to do with what got me thinking when they're taking down the countries. And that last one to do with Australia and so on. It really rings of reminiscences of the French Revolution, where they had a year zero because they celebrated the year, year one, one year after they started the revolution in France. Year one. They got rid of all the history. That was the idea. You find the same thing when you go into Cambodia, 1975, by the Khmer Rouge. And they started their, their history off too after slaughtering people, and they called it uh, Year Zero. That's when they started it all. You also have Year Zero popping up again in the WikiLeaks with that bunch of stuff they released to the public. That's no coincidence either. But what you're seeing across the world is the old communist effort to destroy all history and start again with their new authoritarian system where you will have no freedom of anything. You'll do as you say. You'll, you'll be beat senseless uh, for the sins of your ancestors, according to these characters, even though your ancestors generally weren't involved in any sins like that. But that's got nothing to do with it again, because, again, facts don't matter. Eh? And it's all to suit the masters at the top, believe you me. And the masters at the top never panic over anything. Never panic over it, because everything that happens is under their control. I'm afraid that's it already. I've run out of time, and uh, it's rather sad because I had a lot more to say. But uh, maybe this will give you an idea of the other side of things. There are many levels to everything that goes on. And... If you stick with the media, all you'll get is the, the most base level that you're meant to be sucked into without understanding it. And that's all done by design. From myself, Alan Watt, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God, or your God's go with you.